Hey, welcome to week seven in our spiritual practice series. Today, we're going to talk about two new disciplines, two new holy habits. Maybe you've heard of them, maybe you haven't. We're going to talk about simplicity uh, and sacrifice. Now, now again, I've said this before, you might be watching this years from now, because uh, this is a core uh, series for our church. But at this moment, while I'm preaching, we're living through the COVID-19 moment. And one thing that happened in our home, and maybe has happened in your home, is that we, since we've been in social isolation and this forced monastic moment, we've been purging and cleaning out our house, spring cleaning on a whole new level, like on steroids. And one thing we declared war on, week one, was the Tupperware drawer. Again, I've mentioned this before. One thing that drives me crazy is when the Tupperware drawer is just overflowing and nothing has its lid and you're not sure where anything is. So we declared war. This was going to be it. And by the end of it, all things were right. Everything had its match. Everything had a lid. They were stacked right. Order, simplicity, unity. The world was collapsing. We weren't sure about our future with health and economics. But I could look at my Tupperware drawer and feel I was going to be okay. Well, one day in the last few weeks, I went to grab something out of the perfect Tupperware drawer, out of my zone of peace, out of my sanctuary area. And so I took it out and it looked right and it was properly sort of lidded and all was good. And as I opened it, this horrific putrid smell came out of it and there was rotting chicken in the Tupperware. Now, this is what I think happened. I think I pieced it together. I think what took place is I cooked some chicken on the barbecue. We ate some of it. I put the rest in a Tupperware, left it out. Someone thought it was a clean Tupperware because it looked right, put it back in. And weeks later, we discovered the rotting chicken. Now, it looked right. It was in its right place. It was even doing its job, sort of. In other words, it was right and wrong all at once. Now keep that image in your mind as we get going today. About a year ago, maybe two years ago, were you watching Netflix when everyone started uh, watching that that, uh, extended show called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo from, I think she's from Japan, it went global. The world was suddenly obsessed with simplicity and decluttering and she said sparking joy and controlling our stuff so it does not control us. The world began to declutter and was trying to find joy and commitment and purpose and meaning through making our lives simpler. Now, actually, much of what she said was right, and she had some really cool thoughts. There's some spiritual overtones which were concerning. But as you watched it, it missed the deeper meaning. It was right and wrong at the exact same time, just like my Tupperware. See, let me help us understand these two practices, but actually this is going to help us understand the whole series right again. These practices, all of them, become Christian spiritual practices when you do them to worship the one true living God and to be transformed by God and to be molded by the Bible. It's in these environments where we go to not encounter ourselves, but Jesus, who we get to see by the Spirit, and Jesus takes us to the Father. In other words, these habits become holy habits when they lead to encounter and acting like Jesus. Again, none of this is about self-realization. 
None of this is about self-discovery. None of this is about us just feeling better about ourselves, though that might be a good byproduct. This is all about encounter that leads to transformation. If we practice simplicity or sacrifice without worship or encountering Jesus, then we only end up encountering ourselves. And at our heart is rotting chicken. Sin. See, it's right and wrong all at once. We need transformation from the outside that comes inside. And so in other words, we need to understand that if we do these practices for any other reason than to encounter Jesus, we will look right and we'll be set right in the Tupperware drawer, but actually our insides need changing because there's rotting chicken. We need someone to come in, take the chicken that's rotting out, clean us out, and, and actually use us for right purpose. Now today, as we get going, I'd like to start by reading four simple verses. Just lean in and listen. Philippians 4.11 I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 Make it your ambition. Oh, that's a strong word. Make it your life's goal. Make it what you're about. Ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Work with your hands just as we told you. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. In other words, not forced. God loves a cheerful giver. Hebrews 13, 16, do not forget to do good and share with other people. For such sacrifices, with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Now, what ties all four of these verses together? Well, it's these two new holy habits we're looking at today. Sacrifice and simplicity. You could maybe call these anti-Western values in some way, but they're definitely counterintuitive for sure. You say, okay, well, simplicity and sacrifice, that's in all sorts of cultures and backgrounds. Give me the Christian version. Here's two great definitions I found, so we're all on the same page as we get going. Sacrifice is a deliberate forsaking, a deliberately forsaking the security of satisfying our own needs with our resources in faith and hope that God is going to sustain us. Simplicity is the inward reality of a single-hearted focus upon God, notice, and his kingdom which results in an outward lifestyle of modesty, openness, and unpretentiousness, which disciplines our natural hunger for status, glamour, and luxury. Years ago, Dave preached on the topic of simplicity, and he preached it powerfully. And he said these words. The battle lines have been drawn, he said. He said, think about it. There's no real assault against fasting. Our culture doesn't care, or if they do, it's about medical reasons. There's no assault against private personal prayer. There's no open assault against service or silence or even confession, really. Oh, but there's a war in simplicity. Mass media has convinced us that to be out of step with, fa- to be out of step with fashion is to be out of step with reality. We are made to feel ashamed to wear something or drive something or use something until it wears out. We need upgrade, newer, better features, bigger, smaller, lighter, faster. The culture that we live in makes the spiritual practice of simplicity very difficult and by definition countercultural. 
But isn't that what being a disciple of Jesus is all about? It was Adele Calhoun who said these words. Simplicity cultivates the great art of letting go. Simplicity aims at loosening inordinate attachment to owning and to having. Simplicity brings freedom and with it generosity. Oh, by the way, there's a connection between simplicity and sacrifice. She sums up the goal of simplicity like this. To uncomplicate and untangle my life so I can actually focus on what really matters. But just like we learned about prayer and fasting, you can go off the deep end so very quickly. Dave mentioned this years ago, and all the authors too, there's three danger areas when we talk about these practices. The first one is legalism. See, simplicity is not just a list of do and don'ts. And you have to do this, and you have to, and it all looks the same for all of us. Richard Foster warns, nothing is more deadly than the, 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 than the thinly veiled claim, I live more simply than you do which reveals pride, which has to be undone by confession and repentance. See, this is all about motive. Jesus set the precedent for how to do spiritual disciplines and holy practices right in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, we learned it specifically about fasting in Matthew 6.16. When you fast, not if, when, don't be somber as hypocrites. They disfigure their faces to show people they're fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. When you fast, when you serve, when you give money to God, when you sacrifice things for God, when you pray, when you give up that vacation and give the money to the church or sell the cottage and do something wild so the poor would have more money in another context or your health, on and on it goes. When you pray for that healing, when you post that thought on Instagram, when you choose to live more simply, when you do anything in the name of Jesus for God, why do you do the thing? Do you do it to feel better about yourself? Do you do it so people respect you or will follow you? Did you do that thing in God's name out of duty or to deal with insecurity? Again, like I said a few weeks ago, look at what I'm doing for God. How tough it is, how much I'm giving up. Look how much, I could have had that house, but I now have this house and I did it for Jesus. Do you know that? Right there, when, when you begin to live that way, you got what you wanted. People's respect or approval or self-gratification or elevation in the community. You got the look, the love, the security, the identity boost. But it will not ripple into eternity. Oh, it might be in Jesus' name. It might even have good effect down here. But when it comes to reward, it's gone. The second dangerous pitfall is called asceticism. It's the idea that everything physical is bad and the spiritual is good. So money is bad and sex is bad and the body is bad. Only spiritual things count. No, 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 no. We, we reject that fully. Money's not bad. Possessions is not bad. God, like we talked about with chastity, gave us the gift of sex. And remember, the world is physical and spiritual. Jesus is fully God and fully human. I have a soul and yet I have a body. I'm not two things. I'm one thing. We believe in the new heavens and the new earth. The, the third one, and this was actually brilliantly, I think, penned by Dave years ago. He says it's guilt. <laughs> he says some people are better looking or smarter or have a higher earning potential or maybe they have more influence. And simplicity, he said, is not an attempt to leveling the playing field. <laughs> Simplicity does not seek to make those with more feel guilty because they have more. Wow. Dallas Willard helpfully pointed out simplicity is not the opposite of complexity as a spiritual discipline, nor is it actually just another word for poverty. Oh, not at all. Actually, he says in some ways simplicity isn't really a discipline. It's the result of the practice of contentment. 
And I would add this, only a content Christian, rooted in the sovereignty of God, joyfully would sacrifice. So let's begin here. Sacrifice and simplicity will only take root in you, in your family, and in our church, if we once again not just remind ourselves, but actually believe in our core, we don't own anything. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God owns, well, everything. (laughs) We're only caretakers. We're only stewards. That's where we as churches get that churchy word stewardship, forgiving from. One wrote, God is the creator and he owns everything. He entrusts his people with stewardship responsibilities, with resources, talents, and times. The fundamental principle encourages givers to be wise stewards of all of God's provisions. Here's the question. The major question is how much to keep and how much to give. And that is it. That's where simplicity and sacrifice begin to answer and wrestle down that question. Here's the second thing. Simplicity and sacrifice will not take root in you, in your family, in our church, unless we are willing worshipers, not just through our singing, but with everything we are and everything we own. Now, to fully embrace these two practices, we have to again go back to the Sermon on the Mount, the manifesto of our movement. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. As already mentioned, we live in a world of materialism in the West. Our culture focuses on possession, greed, coveting, wanted acquisition, normal, expected, actually all around us. Our consumer culture tells us best and possession and pleasure bring satisfaction. And yet, let's not just be so focused on the West. Let's be global citizens. The richer are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. There are 7.2 or 7.5 billion people on the earth today and 1 billion people live on less a dollar a day. Uh, over 3 billion people live on less than $2 a day. So very simply, Jesus comes and says in Matthew 6, 19, don't store for yourselves treasures on earth. Moths and vermin, rats and etc., will destroy them, where thieves break in and steal. And here's what Jesus' point is. Don't spend your life at your epicenter and core, focused on and obsessed with all that passes away. Okay, so I own a house, and I got furniture, and I've got two TVs, and I've got a Wii U and a Wii Switch. I got carpets. I got art. My dad's an artist. got two cars, and I have three degrees. My wife uh, has three, two i got three kids. i got a mom, a dad, a mother-in-law, a father-in-law. i got a great brother and sister-in-law. I've got extended family. i got memories. i got experiences. I've traveled to over 40 countries. I've got food. I've got, I've, I have a job. I, I do have influence. I have some friendships. I have many relationships. I have titles. I am Reverend Doctor. <laughs> i got clothing and books and music and savings. Now, all I own and all I treasure All the things I have accomplished, all the titles, all the jobs, everything, (laughs) they're all going away. All of them. Now, by the way, Jesus is not banning possessions. He's not banning private property. He's not even saying it's right or wrong to be rich. No, no. He's not saying saving is a sin. Actually, the book of Proverbs is pretty clear about saving and 
working hard. I mean, Proverbs 6, 6, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, yet it stores up provisions in summer and gathers food at harvest. Jesus is also not teaching, we'll just sit around and be really spiritual and pray all the time and never work and wait for my return. No, no, 1 Timothy 5.8, anyone, speaking of the Christian community, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Whoa, that's not talking about losing a job. That's saying you're lazy and not willing to work. We're also called to enjoy this world, <clears throat> to enjoy all of this. 1 Timothy 4.4, 4. everything God created is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. So it's okay to enjoy food and, like we found out last week, sex or clothing or art or travel or, or relationships or even to have things. See, Jesus is going so beyond the surface. He's diving to the heart of the motive. Why are the real reasons why you want those things? Why do you buy those things? Why do you want that thing? What controls us? What inspires us? Would you be willing to give them away if he asked you? Would you even consider having less, even though you might have more, not actually spending or so you could give more to the kingdom? Really, this is who's God in your life. Luke 12, 15, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So food and clothing and money and all the stuff is temporary. It's foolish. It's, it's foolish to rely upon, to put your hope in, to trust in. It's all going to go away. No treasure has permanence. Everything's going to perish. I mean, Job got it right. Job 121, naked, I came from my mom's womb, and naked, I'm out of here. I'm going to depart. Like I've said before when I've preached here, there are no U-Hauls at funerals that I do as a pastor. No one brings all their stuff and says, well, this is coming with me too. No, the Egyptians tried that. We're still digging it up and putting it in museums. You take nothing with you. You come into the world alone and you go out alone. Have you read the book of Ecclesiastes lately? I mean, here's all of life laid out. Architecture, owning land, buildings, a strong work ethic, a good sex life, money, reputation, power, all sorts of thinking, academics. Imagine being smart and rich and in love, and really good looking, and a world traveler, and educated, and loved by all, and globally respected. Well, that was Solomon. God called him the wisest man that had ever lived. And what did he say as he penned Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2? After all that, everything is meaningless completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come, generations go, the earth never changes. Verse 8, no matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Does this mean all this stuff is stupid and garbage? No, 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 no. It's just fleeting. It's passing. All life is transient. You can say everything that we want or own or love is cursed with non-eternity. Years ago, when I was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, I found this story, and it brings it home so well for us. There was a tale of an eminent man, full of love, of letters and art and intellect. He drew near to the end of his life. One day, an old servant found him moving slowly with tottering steps through his splendid library. He touched his many treasured books with sensitive, loving 
fingers. He laid his gentle hands upon one after another of the amazing statues that filled his home and library. He gazed at all these amazing, beautiful paintings he had spent a life buying. And as the servant listened, the eminent man, now in his last days, said over and over and over as he touched each thing, I must leave you, I must leave you, I must leave you. You're going to leave your family. I am too. You're going to leave your house. You're going to leave your money. You're going to leave this world, beauty, art, friendship, social media, your accomplishments. I must leave you. Oh, by the way, I'm going to make the connection soon to the, the spiritual practices we're talking about today. But see, this matters. Why does this matter? Because, because all human beings instinctively know that we have to leave. Our culture screams at us. Squeeze everything you can out of this life. Do everything you can. Try, no matter the cost or the fallout, to put it all in right now. Even if you have to do bad things, do it because you need to experience everything in the 80 years you've got. That's why beauty products make hundreds of millions, billions of dollars. That's why entertainment is so key for us. And yet for Christians, is this really it? Do you live your life as a Christian like this is just it? Or do you actually believe that what's coming is better? In other words, how homesick are you? The level of your homesickness will determine how sacrificial and simply you would choose to live. Would we live more simply or sacrifice more knowing that what's coming is better? Some of you are like, well, what's the real payoff? I mean... Why would I really be motivated to start practicing such radical disciplines? Well, A, Jesus did. Start there. Uh, but B, he gives us the answer right here in verse 20, Matthew 6. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. This is where simplicity and sacrifice come home. Would you live more simply or even sacrifice good things so your life would be less cluttered so you could hear God better. You could be more attuned. You'd fight the idolatry of the culture. But even deeper than that, would you live and participate in simplicity and sacrifice so you would actually store up more treasures in heaven? Now, treasures in heaven is not some bank account where if you do enough good things, you get into heaven. No, no, no. This is given to those who already are members of the kingdom. This is about eternal reward. This is what ripples into eternity and lasts. And this is real, by the way. 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Oh, notice, money isn't evil. Possessions aren't evil. The love of them is evil. It says some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And then he says in verse 17, command those who are rich. By the way, if you're listening to me in North America, no matter your economic status, you're probably rich globally. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope and wealth, which is uncertain. Hello, COVID-19. Hello, global economic questions. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share, sacrifice. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age 
so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Greed is idolatry. When you hoard wealth, or you gain it unjustly, or you're self-indulgent, or, or, or you gain it ruthlessly, not from our side. Anything done for Jesus, any temporal activity that's done for God with good motives ripples into eternity and will have effect and reward. Nothing can rust, nothing can steal, nothing can break in or rot it. And here's the amazing thing. You will never have to say to Jesus, I must leave you. He's staying and we're staying with him. Jesus basically says there's two treasures, an earthly one and an eternal one, one secure and one's insecure. Verse 21, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. I love how Eugene Peterson put this in the message. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will want to be, and you will end up being. How homesick are you? Later on in verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And if you read the commentators here, what they're basically saying is, this isn't like a person having two part-time jobs. This is literally, you are in love and owned by one thing or another. You, you, you can't have two. Scott McKnight said these words, money has a way of freezing our hands and feet and stiffening our hearts It is a way of becoming like Gollum's ring, something we cannot do without that becomes the focus of our attention. Do you live this life like this is it as a Christian? Then you don't really believe that what is to come is better. And so you will focus all your time and all your attention and everything down here. Simplicity and sacrifice modeled by Jesus. You, even though you claim with your mouth you want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, you will have to reject simplicity and and sacrifice in any form because you actually believe you have to squeeze it all in here. Kent Hughes asked five questions that help us evaluate if we'd even be willing to sacrifice and live more simply by asking questions that expose where our treasure is. Some of you say, well, John, what's the take home this week? What do I need to do? Okay, well, let's start with these. Write these down and ask them because you can't have the conversation about simplicity and sacrifice. In other words, giving to God money, talent, talent, and time or living simply to provide more space for you to think about God and give out. No, You won't even get there without these. Question one. What occupies our thoughts when we have nothing else to do? What occupies your daydreams? Investments, positions? If so, then that's going to help you know that's where your treasure is and your heart really is. Question two. What do you fret most about? How interesting to ask this question during COVID-19 when we've had a lot of worry. Is it about your home or your clothing? Then you know where your treasure is. Apart from loved ones, who do you dread losing the most? Here's another one that's really helpful. What are the things that we measure other people by? Clothing? Education? the home they possess, 
their athletic ability? Do we measure others by their success according to the business world? How you evaluate other people reveals actually what you treasure yourself. And lastly, what is it that we know we cannot be happy without? See, only when we decide that God owns everything, not decide, let me put it a different way, only when we agree with God that he, he's got it all. Only when we really begin to believe that Though this world is beautiful and we're called to enjoy it and it's not fundamentally evil, marred, but not evil. But we know that this is not the full end of the picture. And there is real reward in heaven. And only when we actually have the conversation about where our treasures are and take time to maul it over to even know, only then can we have a conversation about simplicity and sacrifice. Richard Foster said this, simplicity is the only thing that sufficiently reorients our lives so that possessions can be genuinely enjoyed without destroying us. Without simplicity, we're either going to give in to the consumption spirit of the age or fall into some weird version of Christian legalistic asceticism. Both lead to idolatry. Both are spiritually lethal. So you say, well, John, what do I need to do this week? Well, honestly, write those questions down, take some time to pray, ask the Holy Spirit and others for input, and find out where your treasure is. Because then when you evaluate where your treasure is, then you say, would I be willing to give more of this up for kingdom purposes? Oh, oh and <laughs> would I choose to live more simply? Now, some of you have already done this. You're like, well, okay, John, what do I need to do this week? Well, again, I, I love Adele Calhoun. She wrote out a group of simple activities to begin to promote sacrifice and simplicity. I added, I added some to this list too. She said, uh, she said, you need to assess the things and activities that keep your life conflu- uh, 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 complicated and confusing and convoluted and just work on simplifying them. In other words, look at your calendar, look at your life. I know that we're all in isolation, but as things begin to open up, or if you're listening to me years from now and life is what it is then in the new normal, could you simplify your whole life so you could actually focus on what matters? This is the next one. Set priorities that flow, flow from loving God above everything else. When you look at time and money and everything else, does God get the first and best? If not... We've already got a problem. She says you might want to downsize possessions. You might want to cut back on shopping or discretionary spending and, and, and literally saying, I'm doing this for the kingdom. And then say, as you cut back, how am I going to reorient my thinking about myself or what I own or could I give more? Maybe you want to try eating simpler foods. She says enjoying simple pleasures that require no money. Removing distractions and preoccupations with many things. She says, maybe you just need to choose to live an uncluttered life. You need to create more space in your life for loving God and loving others. In other words, if, here's a great example. If your calendar became more simple, could you sacrifice more and then serve other people out of that time? Here's an incredible one to think about. Using simple, honest speech without double meanings. Start starting to experience freedom from envy and entitlement. Always on Instagram, scrolling to see what everyone else has. The house, the look, the bathing suit, the fill in the blank. 
Maybe start the conversation about staking your identity, she says, in God's love, not accumulation or possession. Or I could add, influence or followership. And the last one is, give God your first and your best. If you, if you want to reflect God's kingdom, remember, the Father gave us Jesus, his best. He, he sacrificed the best. We should be sacrificing the best of what we have for the kingdom of God. This is one of these messages, again, that it's not just three, three simple steps and it, you're free and it's done. So again, let me encourage you. You need to walk through those questions. You need to start maybe focusing on a few small activities like shopping or evaluating your influence quotient, whatever. But listen, have the real conversation about your treasure. Because only then when you see where the lines are drawn can you talk about simplifying and sacrificing. But one last thing I want to say. You need to remind yourself when you do these practices that you're doing them. We need to get in a habit of when, when you actually give, even online, or if we're physically gathering in the future again, right? When we give, we need to say, I'm practicing the spiritual discipline of sacrifice. We need to remind ourselves, if you choose not to buy car A and you buy car C because you're choosing to live simply, say, I'm choosing to act on the spiritual discipline of simplicity so I actually deal with my entitlement issues or I can give more money to the kingdom. But say it out loud so you remind yourself this isn't just a mindless thing. You're literally practicing these disciplines. Keep saying it out loud so you're reminding yourself what you're doing is spiritual and is profound. So very simply, God, none of us at Sanctus can see clearly on this one because of where we live. I can't. I've wrestled all week with this, and I'm going to keep wrestling with this. The only person that can help us is Jesus in the Spirit. So Jesus, walk beside us. Holy Spirit, convict us. Lead us into all truth. Thank you that it's not just a cookie-cutter moment where we all look the same, but we invite you to speak to us about our level of sacrifice, and we invite you to speak to us about what you would like to see simplified in our life so our life becomes uncluttered so we can hear better or you want to confront idolatry you want to undo greed or competition or envy in us or you want us just to build up more treasure that ripples into eternity you work it out God Help us in our connect groups. Help us in our conversations. Help us in our personal moments with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here today. And um, look forward to seeing you next week as we gather uh, to keep walking through all of these conversations. Thanks, everyone.